everyone, it is Stephanie Postles, the host of Up Next in Commerce. Before we get into our latest interview with another e-commerce leader, I wanted to let you know that the Up Next in Commerce podcast is now available for sponsorship for the first time ever. By partnering with us, your company will be connected to interviews with the most compelling founders, CEOs, VPs, and digital leaders in the world of commerce today. You have nothing to gain but thousands of followers and millions of impressions each and every month. Reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to see how your business can benefit from partnering with our team at Up Next in Commerce. Smart speakers are very transactional, right? I ask for something, I get the result. I ask for something, I get the result. And what we're trying to do here, because we're working for all different businesses and companies, is allow you to have a full-fledged conversation to build a relationship with the things that are important to you in your life, your bank, your healthcare company, your insurance company, industries that tech and AI have tended to ignore. Interacting with customers requires a level of finesse and talent that's beautiful when done well, and a tough sight when done poorly. There's give and take, and you have to flow through various movements and ups and downs to reach a satisfying end result. It's like a dance, a tango, if you will. At least that's how the folks over at Live Person see it. Alex Spinelli is the CTO and EVP of Product, Technology, and Operations at Live Person. And on this episode of Up Next in Commerce, we broke down what that dance should look like and how artificial intelligence is taking the lead. As Alex explains, Live Person is a set of tools, technologies, and platforms that enable businesses to have conversations with customers through messaging channels and to detect where customers may be getting stuck or frustrated. Then with a small immediate intervention, Live Person's AI routes that customer to a human who can make the buying process easier. It's a way to get to a better end result and it's working. Businesses using Live Person have seen double digit percentage point improvements in conversions and higher NPS scores than ever before. But the power of AI doesn't end there. And Alex dives deep into where we are headed with AI as a tool in retail, included the blended in-person and virtual experiences that are popping up now more than ever. And Alex gets into the nitty gritty of the ethics behind AI and how everyone will have to be more involved going forward when it comes to defining their limits, wants, and needs. This episode was a great one because Alex is so upbeat, optimistic, right on track with how I am. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. Respond quickly to changing customer needs with flexible e-commerce connected to marketing, sales, and service. Deliver intelligent commerce experiences your customers can trust across every channel. Together, we're ready for what's next in commerce. Learn more at salesforce.com slash commerce. Before we get started, I wanted to remind you to subscribe to our weekly e-commerce newsletter at mission.org slash upnext in commerce. It's amazing. It's great. You will learn a lot of good things. Go subscribe. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Up Next in Commerce. This is your host, Stephanie Postles, CEO at mission.org. Today, we have Alex Spinelli joining the show, who's a CTO at Live Person. Alex, welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, excited to have this conversation. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you on. So I was looking through your background and I was hoping we could kind of start with your days at Alexa, because I feel like there's probably a lot of good, juicy stories there. And I wanted to hear <laughs> a bit about, you know, what was your role there? What did you do there? And then we can jump into the big topic around AI and your current product. Sure, sure. Um, I led what we call the Alexa OS. Mm -hmm. And uh, what that was or is today 
um, is really the core software platform that powers the Alexa experience, the brain. Um, it included things like personalization, speaker recognition. So Alexa knows who's talking to her. Um, and then all of the APIs and technologies, dialogue management that really powered the whole experience and allowed both internal developers at Amazon and skill builders. So skills are like apps for Alexa to go and build those experiences. So it was really the, the cloud operating system for uh, Alexa. So what drew you to that field and industry? Yeah, so I've always been pretty connected to uh, AI, natural language, even going back to, uh, I have a, a lot of roots in news, something I was pretty passionate about in news technology. So at Thomson Reuters, for example, where I led uh, technology for news, both for real-time news, algorithmic trading, and then also all the Reuters news properties and, and journalists, the tools that journalists use. Um, I spent a lot of time trying to understand how do people consume information, how they read information, uh, and how can digital and computers really help us find the most important things, gain insight from information, gain insight from data. So that I kind of took a, a little bit of a hiatus from news. And when I joined Amazon, I was leading uh, search. So uh, the whole experience for browsing and discovering uh, the right product for you uh, and trying to optimize that and make it easier. And one of the things that was really interesting is... Um, I started to see the limitations of these very flat experiences, search pages, web pages, and apps, and people started to try to have a conversation with Amazon search. So they ask questions in search. Is this product compatible with this one? What's the best gift for my daughter who's graduating high school? Yeah. Um, and all these interesting uh, questions. And the experience often fell down. So we actually started looking at what we called query understanding and natural search and all these interesting things where... We wanted to help people get answers to their questions and, and have a dialogue uh, with the search experience. And I thought it was pretty hard. Like, you know, in the sort of traditional, I put in a query, I get a set of results. That interface just didn't work really well. Mm -hmm. uh, Alexa at the time was this kind of quirky little device that was just launching uh, at Amazon very early days. I actually had one. I was part of the early beta testing. Uh, I said, God, I want to be part of that. That actually is starting to recreate the way we're going to interact with our digital lives and mm -hmm. we're going to use natural language. Um, and I guess the rest is history. I, I joined and I think when I joined, it was 20 or 30 people in the team. And, and it was, again, it was this quirky little device that people were like, what the hell is this thing? Is this going to be big? And yeah, you know, in six months, we sold millions of devices and I was growing a team and we we're adding all kinds of new features and capabilities. And it was, it was pretty much a rocket ship, which was uh, pretty fun. That's, that's awesome. I have Alexis throughout the house. I've always wondered though, like how to get past that hurdle of like, when you're talking with someone, you are very free flowing and you'll ask any kind of questions. And I feel like oftentimes with like Alexa or any like speaker, you know, that you would talk into, you're like, uh, uh, what, what can I ask? I don't know what to say. Like, right. I don't know how to phrase it. <laughs> and it feels like there's still a bit of a hurdle with like a lot of conversational speakers to get past of like, getting you help kind of with anything and being able to query things in a million different ways so that you're not like me where you're just like, and I'm stumped and now I'm just going to like open up the app on my phone <laughs> and resort to like the old way of doing things. <laughs> yes. It's interesting because that's that same challenge is what actually led me to live person. So when I met my current boss, um, he was explaining what live person which was, was doing, which was really a, a messaging platform for customer service and sales. And uh, he said, listen, we're really interested in taking things to the next level with AI. And uh, I, I, my first response was, I'm good. I'm not the hottest product on the planet. Yeah. You know? And I had, Rob and I had known each other for years from New York and we had conversations earlier. I said, I'm good. And he said, well, listen, 
there's an opportunity to take what you're doing at Amazon, creating these natural experiences, but actually democratize it and do it for companies all around the world, large and small, and really help consumers interact in a new way. Mm-hmm. And it kind of stuck with me. We had more and more conversations and, and I ended up uh, joining. And I think the key differentiation that you're seeing is I think the smart speakers in that whole space, they are very transactional, right? Mm-hmm. They've kind of started to center around entertainment, home entertainment, smart home. And they are still fundamentally very, very, I ask for something, I get the result. I ask for something, I get the result. And what we're trying to do here, because we're working for all different businesses and companies, is allow you to have a full-fledged conversation to build a relationship with the things that are important to you in your life, your bank, your healthcare company, industries that people, (laughs) that tech and AI have tended to ignore. Like those are big, boring, you can't change them. Um, And I think the problem is kind of leaned into these proxies of uh, relationship building apps. You can't build a relationship. Like you and I are having a conversation. We didn't, I didn't send you the Alex app and say here, you could, you know, you can get any answer to any question. You could click and browse and tap and search and you'll, you'll get, you didn't send me your app. Um, We're having a dialogue and a conversation. What's crazy is businesses have put the app. They've actually done that crazy thing. They said, Oh no, don't talk to us. Mm -hmm. Don't have a conversation with us here. Use our app, use our website. And what we want to do is actually do exactly what you described, have that fluid conversation, build a real relationship. And the key for us, and this is where I think the smart speakers fall down, is humans have to be involved as well. Mm -hmm. So you can't get stuck. The AI is not going to be able to solve every dialogue. So the way we look at the world is the AI is a kind of concierge in many ways and begins and initiates the dialogue and conversation for simple things like play music, do this, do that. AI can do it. But then when you really need to have a more meaningful conversation, we want to connect you with the right person. And Alexa can't do that because it's just the scale wouldn't work. Uh, It's just for Amazon, where I think when you start thinking about democratizing AI, we can actually start to do that and make it a useful tool, not just for the consumer, but also for the employees of the business. Yep. I mean, now it seems like it's the perfect time too, because I think through the past five years or so, and it seems like we've kind of gone through a period where like everything had to be optimized. You don't want to have support centers. You know, you got bots everywhere. You can do drop shipping now. You don't need brands. You don't need like, you know, just like white label products. We went through this phase and now we're kind of coming out on the other side where people are like, I don't really want to talk just to a bot. I want to talk to a person. If I instantly want to, you know, call, I want to be able to have someone there. And it seems like now consumers' expectations have changed where it's like for a little bit there, we were getting used to just, okay, I'll just talk to the chat and see if it fixes it. And now it seems like, expectations are so much higher than they even were just a couple of years ago. Well, I think part of that is this digital was growing due to convenience, mm-hmm. right? We were buying, you know, large bulk things. We were buying the simple things. We were buying more toothpaste, more batteries, more this, more that. And as we started to need to use digital and now in the pandemic, obviously need to, have to, no other way for all the things in our life, yeah, we want to actually connect those things to values, our values, right? So the brands matter. The business matters. Like, what does that brand stand for? What are the values that they stand behind? Um, so I do think you're right. I think the need for developing a real relationship is important. Mm-hmm. Banks, telcos, all these kind of big stodgy old businesses, or we used, to, we used to think of them that way, or kind of perceived that way, they kind of lost their differentiation right? A banking app is a banking app is a banking app. They all look the same, feel the same, act the same, but not all banks are the same. They have different values. They have different missions. 
And without being able to talk and have a conversation, you don't get to connect your values to where you're putting your money values, that business. So I think that's the shift. I think people now care. They're spending all their dollars in the digital world, (laughs) but by and large, even like the restaurants and who's delivering, is it Postmates, is it Uber, is it Grubhub? Like it matters, you know, we want to support the right business who has the values that we share. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think it's really important. That connection is is super important. Yeah. Yeah. I also think a lot about like retail of, you know, a lot of people probably do miss those experiences of going in stores and having their, you know, someone there to ask questions to. And now that just needs to be mimicked more in the digital space where people are like, well, I can't, or maybe they can start to now, but like for a while there, you couldn't go in and have your normal conversations and ask where things were. You know, I mean, I go all the time and I'll be like, what kind of wine do you like? Just tell me what you like. I'll buy whatever you tell me because I don't know. (laughs) And like, I, I missed that. And I was looking for that, but oftentimes, you know, it was lacking in the, in the digital world. Yeah. So I think developing the tools to allow the the brands are made of people, right. Mm -hmm. Enabling people to actually come through the digital world and connect is exactly what you're saying. Yeah. We, we, we thrive that human experience. I mean, we desire that human experience. Yep. So tell me a little bit deeper about what is live person, because how I'm hearing it is like, it's essentially conversational AI for any industry. It's not just focused on commerce. It can be banking. It can be anywhere. Is that the right way to think about it? Or maybe I'll let you describe it better. Yeah. So at our core, at our roots, uh, it's a set of tools, technologies, platforms that enable you as a business to actually have conversations with your customers through messaging channels. So this is the way we've all started to interact with one another. Uh, my daughter and I, you know, don't talk on the phone as much. Uh, it's all messaging, but mm-hmm. I can talk to her all day long, right? Because it's asynchronous. It's on my time. It's on her time. She could be in class. I could be in this meeting. We can start a conversation and continue it. So the the core offering is letting businesses do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so giving those interactions back to the consumer on their schedule. And then we start to layer on a lot of intelligence. So a lot of those conversations can be led by an AI to gather information, to do the simple things. Uh, to actually, you know, help you with who, what's your name, what's your account number, what's your size, reset my password, pay my bill, lots of things that really become kind of very rote. And then you start to really get more and more advanced in enabling you to shop, enabling you to buy, enabling you to, to transact. And the whole platform lets you never get stuck. So you can have a conversation. It could be part of an automation. You could be looking at a product. You could be asking questions to a bot about the size, color, compatibility, et cetera. And then when you get stuck, we can actually detect that and route you immediately to a person, a real human being that can help you. And we call that the tango. So it's this like know, that. beautiful dance that allows us to go back and forth. And, 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 and that's really, the, the, I think, where we excel. Uh, and then just from a technical perspective, we wrap all of that with a set of analytics and tools that even if you're a small business, you can use to look at the health of those conversations. How's it going? Is it making you money? Is it costing you more? How's your customer satisfaction and those kinds of things? So it's a pretty full suite of tools to build a new kind of customer experience. That's awesome. And so what kind of results do you see, especially around like commerce when it comes to, like you said, you're doing the tango, you're sending them over to a customer service person. Like what would you see otherwise? I'm sure like losing that customer and not converting to a sale. Like, are there any metrics that you guys have that you can share? Yeah, so it definitely is industry dependent and and customer dependent. And we tend not to share direct customer numbers, but this is why I joined. The results are crazy. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and and so when Rob and I were talking about me joining LifeFirst, he said, you know, we're kind of onto something where we see costs go down, customer satisfaction go up, NPS go up, 
conversion rates go up and agent turnover or sales agent turnover go down. And I said, there's no way all those metrics can be moving in the positive direction. Usually there's trade-offs. Mm -hmm. um, but right now that's what we're seeing. So we do see conversion rates for conversations to be often uh, double digit percentages better than, than, than experiences that didn't have. So if you were interacting in an app or a website and we detect that you might be stuck, you might be jumping back and forth between pages, we'll actually offer like, hey, it looks like you might be having, do you have a question? Do you have a problem? And then we'll have that dialogue and that conversation. And that might be a tangoed conversation mixed and matched between an AI and a human. And we see conversion rates uh, of those dialogues, um, again, double digit percent. There's a large big box retailer um, whose conversion rates typically exceed over 15% when a conversation is initiated. A typical conversion rate on, on web shopping is you know, single digits, uh, mid to, to you know, five, 6%. So significant increases when you actually connect and have a dialogue uh, are pretty common for us. Wow, that's cool. So if I'm a brand- It's pretty powerful. Yeah, I mean, it sounds amazing. It sounds like, why wouldn't someone use something like this? If I'm a brand and I'm thinking about setting this up, would you be tapping into my customer support people who are trained my way? And then you're like, you train the AI, you've got the questions in there, the answers, you kind of like map all that out. You've got your database. And then you're constantly learning, I'm assuming, from like what people are saying and what's actually helpful. And then it, when you go into the tango mode, it goes over to your customer service people or how does that work? Mm. So our tooling mostly is used directly by the brand. Okay. So you're a brand. Our technology sits inside, uh, I mean, it's you know, SaaS-based technology, but it sits inside your contact center. Um, we actually, the way we typically will train AIs, it's actually pretty cool. We, you, you have human conversations first, and you don't need many. So you actually start to have human-to-human -human conversations. Um, and then just in a few weeks, we can actually collect enough data to go and build the, the best intent. So intent is... Uh, as you're having a natural language discussion and an AI is detecting what you need. So an intent is the thing that you want. I want to pay a bill. I want to buy that product. Is this product compatible? Does this come with batteries? Whatever have you. Those are all intents. Mm -hmm. So those intents are basically derived from your real customer conversations. So the accuracy ends up being very high. And we've actually built a whole series of proprietary uh, data models um, that are very industry specific. So in retail, in airlines, in banking, in insurance, we can actually have some really high accurate uh, recognition. Mm -hmm. And again, that those intents can be recognized for human conversation, so that we can tell the agent exactly what's going on and where this person, what this person needs. And then they're also used to go and build those AI-driven experiences. And the goal is, can we take all the mundane, repeatable? stuff away from the, the agents. So the agents are really closing the sale. They're really helping tough problems. And this is why you see agent satisfaction go up because mm -hmm. they're not doing the rote same, 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 same conversations. All that's done by the AI. And then the agent's actually having a, a kind of much more high bandwidth yeah. uh, interaction. Like doing the creative work where they can think and solve exactly. new problems. And I mean, I think it it comes back to for a while there, everyone's like, AI is going to take our jobs. And it's like, no, it's like <laughs> augmenting your jobs. And it's, you know, doing right. the things that you probably don't want to do anyways. But now you just get to work on higher level things, I would think. We do see that. And it's interesting. We see the wait time. So, you know, no, you know, rather than waiting for 30 minutes, you actually wait for very little time. Mm -hmm. And then that agent can actually spend the time and energy to have a month, like, just like you said, a much more creative, high bandwidth conversation. 
So we, we, we don't see this like, yeah, take, it's changing jobs. It's augmenting jobs. It does require some new training for sure. Uh, but at least right now, it's not this you know, job killer that actually opens up the world for new jobs. We actually yeah. are converting agents to data annotators. So agents in real time can actually go and label conversations and data mm-hmm. to improve the AI. So it's actually advancing their roles in some ways. Again, I'm not going to be naive. Like, there, there, there will come a time where automation and those kinds of things do impact jobs at scale. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we as you know, responsible uh, business per- people need to you know, think about what's the next thing though, right? And, and what's the next set of opportunities. Uh, so I'm, I'm hopeful in general. We, we have, we, we were pretty hopeful and positive on, on where we can get to, but I think we have to kind of wade in very open-eyed and make sure we, we do the right thing as we go forward. Yeah. So when thinking about doing the right thing, I think it'd be good to get a little lay of the land of like the AI field in general, because I feel like it's had a pretty bumpy couple of years. Just, I mean, so many headlines were made around unintended consequences of, you know, using AI models, labeling things incorrectly. There's just been a lot out there. So like, what does it look like now? And especially in like the world of commerce, like how do we think about where is AI even being utilized properly or misused? And like, where could it be in a couple of years or where should it be? Well, the biggest challenge with AI is bias. Mm-hmm. And I'll explain what that means. So some of the bias is deliberate. Some is, is not deliberate um, or intentional and unintentional. So AI is only as good as the data. So what AI is at the end of the day, it's a tool that allows you to look at lots and lots of data, examples, uh, and then you build a model, mathematical model, statistical model that makes certain assumptions based on the examples. And um, so if you were trying to make an AI service that would recognize oranges, this is a, a, when I used to meet people in person and at, at South by Southwest, they gave a talk, I put this big gnarly looking orange on the screen. It was not orange. It was mostly white and moldy and green. And I'd ask the audience, you know, who knows what this is? And you know, 95% of people would raise their hand and say, what is it? And they, everyone knew it was an orange. Mm-hmm. No one saw an orange that looked anything like that. Unless you went on vacation and left an orange on your counter for like three weeks. Yep. Then you maybe have seen an orange like that, right? So really what's happening is very similar to AI. You've seen thousands of oranges in your life. So there's a bunch of features of an orange, little dimples, the skin, the snap, possible colors. And your brain immediately has matched that image to this archetype of an orange, even though you've never seen an orange that looks like that. So if you have a bad data set, mm-hmm. if you showed a young kid many, many different images of things that weren't oranges, but you told them it was an orange, right? When, they, when that uh, image would pop, they might not recognize it. They might not be able to tell what it was, or they might misrecognize something else and call it an orange. Mm-hmm. So the data under AI can inherently have bias by where we collect it from. So if we're trying to collect data to recognize um, a certain type of person or a certain type of behavior or a certain type of language, if we don't have a representative data set from the right populations, the AI is going to be biased. It's going to be biased based on that data set. Or if humans label that data and those humans come from a certain, you know, one kind of homogenous background, mm-hmm. um, they might label the data with their own biases. Again, that could be unintentional, but everyone brings their own, own unconscious biases with them. Lastly, engineers, when they build AI models, have their own biases too. They think certain things are important and other things are unimportant. Simple kind of innocuous examples, if you were building a trading system and you thought the weather really had an importance on stock prices. So that engineer would build weather as being a heavily weighted variable. Mm-hmm. That's a bias. 
So the key actually is recognizing all the ways that biases can creep in and creating some standards and then really having the tools and process in your company to actually recognize those uh, and ask the questions and make sure that you're doing all the things that you need to do to eliminate that. That bias is what we've seen in some of these horror stories around AI. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of rushing headlong into it and not really thinking deeply about it. So there's actually some great organizations that we actually are, uh, uh, we took the Equal AI Pledge as a company. So there's a, a nonprofit called Equal AI that is working with industries to try to eliminate bias in AI, or uh, I should probably rephrase, not eliminate, but really try to mitigate. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if we'll ever be able to fully mitigate. Uh, it's just, it's super important because, it, and it's actually the right thing. It's good for your business. It's good for your employees. It's just something we have to do. Mm -hmm. Ethical use of any new powerful tool, yeah. no matter what it is, you have to actually consider those things. Yeah. Um, so I think that's the, the key challenge right now. And I think we're still in the early, early days of really grappling with it. Yeah. I mean, it seems like too, right now, a lot of models will have to be like, thrown away because they were all trained on a set of consumers that are still there. But now there's all these new consumers who's come on the market that were never shopping online before and never doing their grocery shopping online. And we had um, a really good guest from Stitch Fix. She was the VP of data science there. And she's like the way that this, like the older generation who's now trying out Stitch Fix wants to talk with us is very different than how, mm. you know, we were talking with millennials. And so you have to start rethinking about like, do I keep my model and adjust it? Do I just throw it out and start over? And it seems like a tricky point now because you just had this big, you know, inflow of new consumers that you never really were talking with before last year. Yeah, I have a 14 year old and uh, it's been an interesting journey uh, as his most of his communication has really moved online and the words and terminology and no cap and sus and all these kind of funny terms. <laughs> Uh, they need to be built into models. So uh, I, I, you, your VP uh, at Stitch Fix is 100% correct. And uh, we need to go and, and, and deal with that. And I don't know if it's about throwing away. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's more about augmenting and building on top of. Uh, the good news is the influx is a big number of people coming. Uh, and those large numbers can actually improve the models pretty quickly if the number that you're starting with was smaller. Um, but it's something we, we actually because we live and breathe natural language, we actually have to stay on top of uh, really, really regularly. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's, this is going to be the perennial challenge. Uh, this is where actually, that, that, remember I talked about transforming agent roles. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the things that we've looked at, and we just actually released this, it's pretty cool, is the agents, as they're having conversations, can label the intents, mm -hmm. and they can actually improve intents, and they can actually retag intents and all this kind of stuff. And so we believe, and this is where I think, you know, we are changing roles, not eliminating. The agents know your products. They know your language. They know the markets you're operating in. They talk to your customers every day. And they're the ones that are going to be best positioned to kind of add and augment those models. So it's actually really important to have them as part of that, part of that process. Oh, that, that's really interesting that they can do that now. And I could see it being really helpful too, because I have heard that oftentimes models can also, like you said, train themselves and turn into a black box where it's like they keep ingesting the wrong data, wrong data. And then like you build up maybe algorithms that I remember at certain companies I used to work at, like you kind of didn't know what was in there. Like at a certain point, you're like, I don't know how it's working. I don't know why it's working this way. Like, is there <laughs> ever a point when like, how much data do you need? Is there ever a point where you're like, that's enough. Let's stop. Like only collect it this many times because right now it feels like we're in a world of like, just get as much as you can and ingest yeah. as much as you can which seems like it could maybe have unintended consequences. The 
explainability is still a big problem with AI. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a startup for folks out there listening, uh, create some technology that offers uh, introspection and explainability to large uh, <laughs> machine learning models. It's not a solved problem. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't have a good answer, actually. When do you have enough? When don't you have enough? I think you need to c- constantly benchmark, constantly look at your accuracy and have all of the protections in place that you are looking for that bias, right? You are looking for those negative consequences. And that's hard work. That's not like putting some technology gaps in place and a threshold. That's really asking the di- having the dialogue internally, ha- asking the questions, turning over rocks, what, what could be the negative consequences here? It's kind of active management right now. And it really needs to be baked into your kind of culture that it's yeah. something that you focus on. Yeah, definitely agree there. So what kind of opportunities do you see? Like, where do you think conversational commerce should be in the next one to three years? Or what do you think is going to start happening? So I think the big opportunity right now is actually the topic of our, our chat is more commerce, like mm-hmm. real, you know, real shopping, real purchasing, real buying. I think conversational commerce uh, primarily over the last number of years has been sort of sat in that care, support, follow-up space. Mm-hmm. And now because digital is a necessity, not a convenience, um, we're starting to see all the kind of, like I said before, all the little breakage in the flat experiences. So I think the big opportunities is are around how can we really help people um, discover? So discovery is really hard with Alexa, for example. You don't know what Alexa can do and can't do and those kinds of things. So discovery is that's still a big challenge. Huge opportunity there is how do you stitch conversations together with discovery? And to me, that's all about actually modeling the behaviors that we would have in real life. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're going to go back to stores. We're going to go back to malls. They're going to be changed. Though. They're going to be very different. I think we're going to see conversations in the digital world follow us in and try to fill in the gaps and start to really help us in a, in a much more kind of blended way. So there's something called the fourth industrial revolution. If you really want to geek out. Oh yeah. We've talked about this before on a oh, lot cool. of our yeah. other podcasts. It's blending of the virtual and physical. Yeah. So I think the big opportunities are in real commerce and how do we start to blend the physical and the virtual. Mm-hmm. So we see, for example, uh, especially during uh, COVID, blending conversations with curbside pickup, really trying to fill in all those gaps mm-hmm. in those interactions and exchanges. Um, so I think that's where a lot of the that's kind of next stage plays is we're going to see conversations start to power a lot more of our transactions and commercial activities and starting to blend together that physical and virtual. That's where we're spending a lot of our time. Yeah, that, that's cool. I mean, so what kind of tech advancements are needed? Because I'm even thinking about like, you know, that fourth industrial revolution and blending that and like, okay, if you're walking to a store, I mean, I know there was a while there where like store owners were hesitant to even install the beacon so you would know who's coming in your store. And like, there was a lot of hangups when it came to retail that didn't allow the digital world to interact with them because you had to have, you know, hardware infrastructure changes. Like there was a lot needed there. So what kind of things are needed for that advancement to take place? Yeah, well, a bunch of things. I mean, these things have basically become supercomputers, right? Like these are more powerful than even the biggest machines you know, 10, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're going to take on more and more of the processing. I think image recognition, big, yeah. big space. Um, and then I think a lot of that starts to wrap together the privacy concerns. So, you know, control, giving control back to the consumer about what data I share and when based on my needs and what I want to do. So that's where I think you're going to see a lot of technology advancement is um, yes, beacons, yes, image recognition, yes, the kind of blending of conversations and in-person and live and all these kinds of things and, and trying to, like I said, stitch that experience together. 
But if I were, you know, again, entrepreneurs out there and, and technology companies, I would look at those for sure. But I think we also have this kind of renewed interest in, in privacy and mm -hmm. what targeting is. And we can do a whole soapbox if you want on like the evils of, you know, free social media and the hyper targeting. Like, I think there needs to be legislation to almost eliminate some of that. Mm -hmm. um, because what we've allowed us, we've allowed companies to do is extreme content and extreme information can find audiences now. The audience is basically free. They're just data. So I think trying to really understand who I share my data with, why I share my data with, and I'm sharing it only for the purpose that I want is another whole area of technology that we need to focus on. These are the things, at least we're working on, that we feel pretty passionate about. Yeah. And then in terms of like, you know, very specific uh, technologies, I think combination of conversations with location and image recognition are going to start to be really interesting, mm -hmm. right? Because I'm going to be looking at something. I want to verify something. I want to validate something with a conversation and a dialogue. And it's, a lot of it's going to be dependent about where I am. So we're trying to figure out how those intersect in the right way. Yeah. How do you approach it in a way that garners trust from the consumer? Because I feel like there's been a lot of times, even me personally, if I know, you know, I'm talking to a computer, I'm like, nope, I'm good because I've had so many bad experiences. Or I've mentioned it a couple of times, like you call in. To like Verizon, it's like beep boop pop pop pretending to type like da 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 da, and you're like, this is so <laughs> fake, and I don't like this, and but then you can't even help me either. Like, so how do you go about it in a way that you know it informs a person that you're not really talking to a person right now, but still keeps them incentivized to want to try and you know work that method if they've kind of been burned in the past. So I think there's two topics there. One, um, we have a pretty uh, both of them. We have pretty strong opinions about first. An AI should always identify itself as AI and not try to pretend it's a human. Mm -hmm. I, I actually think we'll see legislation on that yeah. um, because it's, I think it's bad. Uh, and I think a couple of things, even there are practical issues with it too. You speak differently than you do to a human than you do to an AI or a mm -hmm. bot. Um, and it's better if you know, for, but for everybody. It's actually better even for the AI builder to know that you know, because the model is going to be different, interestingly. So there's actually a real practical reason but I think there's a lot of ethical reasons is I should know who, who I'm speaking to and, and what I'm speaking to. That's one. Um, two, I think that um, the gatekeepers, the, the Facebooks of the world um, that want to kind of screen everyone and operate as these, you know, Uber, Uber marketplaces that they control the traffic flow. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, we as consumers are going to start to have very negative, you know, I mean, we've, we've started in terms of perception but I think there's going to be a continued backlash on that. And I think you want to know that if you're into dealing with Verizon, you're you want to deal with Verizon. You want to deal with this company. You want to deal directly with that company. So um, again, we feel really strongly about that. We don't sell data. We, we work on behalf of a brand. We, there's no targeting. There's no selling data. There's no advertising. Um, so I think we're going to see a return to kind of truer commercial relationships. Mm -hmm. Now we've benefited. Like we've gotten all this free stuff by selling our behaviors. We don't yeah. sell our data, by the way. We sell our behaviors, right? We sell behavioral changes to Facebooks and Googles of the world. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we need, we're going to stop doing that. Uh, and I think we have to stop. We have to pay for the things that would give us value. Yeah. Uh, and then we know what we're paying for and we understand how our data is going to be used. And I think that's really, really important. And I think yeah. we're going to see a shift over the next year or two, for sure, for sure, in terms of what people want. Yeah. So a lot of brands are probably hearing this and are nervous because of all the changes that are happening with Facebook and privacy rules. And like, you know, many of them have been very reliant on 
search ads and Facebook. So what do you see, you know, like customer acquisition looking like if you kind of can't rely or maybe shouldn't rely on those channels? And now people are maybe opting out of sharing all their data, even though it's still pretty hard to opt out. It's like you either accept or you just can't look at a website like, okay, I guess I'll just accept. Um, (laughs) But like, how do you see it working for brands where it's like, well, most of my traffic was coming from Facebook. And now, you know, that's not really the world we're going to be living in is that kind of targeting and traffic and customer acquisition. Yeah. So our, I mean, there's still going to be these aggregate places. I think they're, they're not going to be eliminated. So our, our view is moving from a stream and target the stuff at me Mm -hmm. to enabling people to express their desires, their intents, and then businesses, you know, honestly, basically applying for, Hey, here's something that based on what you've asked for, um, we may have. Mm-hmm. And so I think the user acquisition, I don't have the answer to it. If I did I'd probably start that company. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, or, or we would be doing it here at Life Person. But I, I think that there will be kind of a flipping the model on its head a bit, right? Mm-hmm. So rather than this idea of I can have some type of content, because I think the ills that we've seen have come from this model. I can have some kind of content. I want to get 50,000 people for very, very, very low cost I can go and target those 50,000 people and then I can, who don't know about me mm-hmm. and who I think have a proclivity to me and I can go get them. So that was good for small business in some ways, right? You can actually build businesses online. It's bad for lots of other reasons. It's also as a consumer that you're being introduced to something that like the whole serendipity introduction is neat when you're on Etsy because mm-hmm. uh, you know what it is. It's artisans. It's not neat when it could be anything. So yeah. I think we're going to start to ask consumers to express their needs and like, what do you want? What are you looking for? Can you define kind of your ecosystem of things that you like and appreciate? Uh, and then we're going to ask you permission mm-hmm. to actually bring uh, others to. And you're going to set standards. Like I really only want to hear from companies that you know have certain social stances, right? Or I only want to hear from companies that have certain environmental stances. So I think it's really all about empowering the consumer to kind of define. It's a little more work. I think that's yeah. the thing that's going to be interesting to see because mm-hmm. uh, I think we as consumers are very lazy. It's just like, I want to scroll and you're going to send me stuff. I think we're going to have to be asking consumers for a little bit more work to mm-hmm. define those things and tell us more so that we can give them things that are much more open, honest, and transparent. Yep. And again, I don't know what the format it's going to look like. I'm thinking right of a whole now, new browser we, right now. Like just need a whole new browser that operates in that way. And like, cause <laughs> right now it's like, where do you get all those ads and everything? It's from, you know, you're on Chrome, you're on Safari, but it seems like you need a whole new world for it to operate in that way. So we're we're actually experimenting with, um, call it a messenger, but it, it's not, I, I wouldn't kind of categorize it that way. That is intent-driven. So mm-hmm. you um, define, I'm looking for X, Y, and Z. I almost think of the kind of anti-Alexa in some ways where it's not just this transactional thing. I want to play this music and turn this thing on. It's much more, I'm looking for this. I need this. Mm-hmm. And you understand the ecosystem of uh, services and providers that actually can come together, all permission-based, all about transparency, uh, and early days, kind of experimenting and thinking it through and talking to a lot of partners and companies also, because I don't think we're alone. Like, I think many, many folks think there needs to be a change here mm-hmm. and we need to figure it out together. Yeah. So we've had a debate on the show a couple of times about this whole trend of like shopping on the edge, which to me seems like kind of where you guys are headed of like being able to have conversations kind of wherever you are. How are you thinking about, you know, where people are shopping now? Do you see it moving to, you know, 
being on Instagram, being within Facebook Messenger, being on TikTok and being able to have those conversations there from the brand and selling on those platforms and less about, you know, driving directly to one single website or just on Amazon? So I do think this idea of the the destination starts to fade. Um, I do think that um, brands will be able to speak to you uh, wherever you are, right? Again, I think it needs to be permission-based. I think it needs to be based on your intent. It's funny. I mean, the idea that you don't have a website sounds insane, right? If you're a company, but what was a website 20 years ago? Like nobody had a website, right? Like Mm -hmm. you had the, the brand found you where you were, you saw the store, you looked in different magazines, you saw them on different uh, television channels, advertise, like it was a much more organic process. And these gatekeepers have become, you know, very, very dominant. And again, I think if that changes where we're not willing to give away our behaviors anymore, sell our behaviors anymore, then I do think you'll start to see brands engage in in ways across all the places you live and breathe. Mm -hmm. Again, should be permission-based for sure. So I do think this shopping on the edge is kind of funny because like, isn't that what we all did, you know, years ago? Yeah. <laughs> like, well, now we're back. in the digital yeah, world though. <laughs> uh, exactly. Um, but it, that's where we're going to, this fourth industrial revolution kind of back again is like, I think all these things start to blend together. Mm-hmm. We don't want these kind of singular locations and gatekeepers. I think we're going to start to see different properties uh, have, you know, different purposes based on, you know, what we're in the mood for, or what we need. It's interesting. I think the biggest thing that I would leave you with and leave listeners to is, Digital was convenient. It is now a necessity. Mm-hmm. That is like, th- there's not more meaningful change, things that can shape change uh, in terms of the format of an experience and the business models. Um, and I don't think we're going to go back. Like, I don't think we're going to go back to what was before. There's going to be something new. And that piece is what's really going to drive a lot of it. Mm-hmm. So I think you're going to have to you know, as a brand, be where people are. Yeah, which sounds chaotic to me. It sounds chaotic, but um, I actually think it democratizes things. I actually mm-hmm. think it means that, you know, there, we can eliminate some of these gatekeepers, you know, who, who make billions and billions of dollars on our behaviors, mm-hmm. which I think would be a good thing in the world. Yep, yeah, I agree. All right, well, let's shift over to the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by our friends at Salesforce sure. Commerce Cloud. This is where I ask a question and you have 30 seconds or less to answer. Are you ready, Alex? Sure. All right. First one, what one thing will have the biggest impact on e-commerce in the next year? So I'm sorry to repeat, but the fact that digital is now a necessity, I think is going to have one of the biggest impacts for sure. That's all right. You're allowed to repeat on this show. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> Let's see. What is something that you believe that many people don't agree with you on? Um, I'm hopeful. I do a lot of these podcasts. I get a lot of scary questions. I don't go there. You're not going to get me there. Did I ask scary questions? (laughs) No, no, you didn't. didn't. Uh, (laughs) This has been been fun and positive, which is great. I I really enjoyed it. I'm hopeful about the future. I actually think AI is going to be a a powerful uh, tool of change, positive change. I don't think it's going to kill you know, everyone's jobs. I actually think we're going to find new ways to make it augment and enhance us uh, in, in, in ways we don't even expect. So I guess in the AI space and big tech space, uh, I, I spent a lot of time talking. I hear a lot of fear and sky is falling. And I guess I don't think that way. I think I'm, I'm pretty uplifted and, and, and positive about what, what the future is to come. I love that. I'm on the same page. Normally very Good. optimistic yeah, about all that, that stuff. Yeah. You can get this from yeah, the space, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> What's one thing you don't understand today that you wish you did? 
I don't understand, and I think about it all the time and debate it all the time, and I'm not going to go all political on you. I don't understand the divisiveness right now that we can't have, we can't find ways to communicate and talk and debate real issues to find solutions. We like to divide. And I'm kind of confused by it, to be honest. Do you ever just look back at like your news and media days and be like, that's the stem of it, a lot of it, like the targeting and the way articles are written and oh man. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's easy to go blame the media. I'm not saying you're doing that. I don't, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. Are we at peak Western civilization and there's always a crest and you fall? Maybe that could be it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm part of that problem, probably. Um, I don't know, but I'm confused by it. Uh, I'd like to see that change. Yeah, that would, that'd be nice to see it. Uh, everyone just come together and love and, you know, like be able to debate in a friendly manner. Yeah. That'd be nice. I mean, I think we'll get through it. So I am still positive about the future, I think, but I'm confused by the state, the current state of it. Yep. Yeah. Same. If you were to have a podcast, what would it be about and who would your first guest be? <laughs> um, if I were to have a podcast, it would probably be a little bit far from tech. It would be about how we bring magic back into our lives. Oh, I like yes. that. You need the Alex Spinelli show. journey I'm on. Yeah, a little journey I'm on. Uh, I've become, uh, yeah, I started going Burning Man a number of years ago. And there's just an infectiousness of, you know, bringing wonder and magic and art mm-hmm. uh, and dancing in the desert uh, yeah. into your life. And I think more people need to, uh, to dance in the desert at sunrise. I love that. That's great. All right. And then the last thing, what's the nicest thing anyone's ever done for you? The nicest thing anyone's ever done for me. I have a pretty amazing group of friends and family. So I got a lot of nice things done for me. Um, You're a lucky dude. (laughs) I am lucky. I I really do appreciate it. I think my wife marrying me is probably the nicest thing anyone's ever done for me. Changed my life and it's been wonderful. Go her. We've had a couple of guys say that on the show, which is so sweet. I'm always like, I hope your wife listens to this then. (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I'm lucky. She's amazing. That's awesome. Well, Alex, it's been such a pleasure having you on. Yeah, I love the conversation. Where can people find out more about you and Live Person? Yeah, I think you start on liveperson.com. Plenty on me on LinkedIn and uh, our various uh, social media. So uh, I look forward to it. That sounds great. Thanks so much. You got it. Thank you. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, you'll probably also love our e-commerce newsletter. To get it delivered straight to your inbox every week, sign up at mission.org slash upnextincommerce. Upnext in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud and created by the team at mission.org. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.